Chris Morris, Vice President for Cloud and Partner Ecosystem Research at IDC Asia-Pacific says, Organizations of all sizes now see cloud as a critical component of their forward-looking IT strategy. IDC expects that early adopters of cloud and other digital technologies are best positioned to ride out this kind of storm with the least amount of disruption from an operational perspective. Now, recognizing that there's no such thing as a one-size-fits-all when it comes to cloud adoption, what strategy will work for which organization in Asia or Asia-Pacific, and how will the CIO navigate the challenges and orchestrations such an adoption given the current constraints of regulation, legacy applications, security limitations around skills, tight budgets, and businesses demanding to have the platforms ready yesterday? With us today is Justin Hurst, Field CTO, Asia-Pacific and Japan for Nutanix. Justin, welcome to PodChats for Future CIO. Hi, Alan. Thanks so much for having me. Happy to be here. Pleasure is all mine. How has COVID-19 impacted the adoption of cloud and what IT models, whether it's on-prem or hybrid, have emerged as the choice for organizations across Asia-Pacific? Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, that's a great question. You know, I think it's it's really got two responses. When the pandemic first got started, there was an urgency to enable remote work, to get people to be functional outside of the traditional office environment. And that really accelerated a lot of organizations' plans. That meant that they were moving into the cloud to enable new capabilities, to scale up quickly, without necessarily the traditional thinking around planning, security, and longer-term integration. Now, as things have progressed and we've really settled into a new normal, sort of a hybrid in-person and, and remote workflow, what we're seeing is really the second phase of cloud adoption, which is organizations looking more carefully at how they can leverage cloud capabilities while still maintaining the necessary applications on-premises, whether, you, like you said, that be for control purposes, security, cost, regulatory compliance, governance, the list goes on. And so what we've seen emerging uh, around the world and also specifically here in, in APJ is this, this settling on the hybrid cloud as really the ideal operating model going forward. We do a survey every year at Nutanix of global IT leaders, about 3,400 people around the world this last go, and 86% of them said that hybrid cloud is that ideal operating model for them. And so we've really seen this current situation bear that out, that they want the agility of public cloud, they want the flexibility to, to pay as they go, to onboard new services, but they recognize that it can't be done all in one step. They have to take a, a more thoughtful hybrid approach. And so that's really where we're seeing kind of the needle land as people have reacted and now settled into something a little more stable. When I talk to people about hybrid, the definitions seem to vary depending on how glued they are to the legacy systems that they have in place. But following from your observations, what type and size of business or industry trends favor which kind of hybrid cloud? Yeah, another, another really interesting point there. As you mentioned, smaller, newer businesses, some of these digital first businesses, they may be born entirely in the public cloud. They may have, have little need for traditional on-prem. On the other end of the spectrum, we've got things like uh, financial services and government 
where they're strongly regulated and strongly tied to on-premises IT with a long tail of legacy, you know, going back to mainframe applications that are still driving the heart of some of these businesses. And so the, the definition of what hybrid looks like really depends on where that organization is sitting. And the ones I've seen execute a hybrid cloud strategy intelligently have taken stock of, of what's the low-hanging fruit, what makes sense, and how can we use the cloud not as a destination, but, but as a tool to help us achieve our business outcomes. Because at the end of the day, that's really what we're trying to do, right, is, is to increase agility, to lower cost. Uh, to provide new services for our customers, but the the cloud's a fantastic way to get there. So uh, I'll give you some examples among our our customer base here in the region. We've had uh, hospitality companies recently, of course, under tremendous pressure uh, as never before, trying to find a way to lower their costs to get through the current slump, but also to be ready for what's next, to embrace a more digital business and allow them the agility to pivot quickly. So we've seen a lot of adoption in that space. On the other end of it, you've got companies in banking, for example, that may have a global cloud-first strategy, but when it comes country to country, have to really think about what are they allowed to move into the cloud? What do they have to keep on-premises for regulatory concerns? And how do they maintain visibility and security across all of that? So these are the sort of questions people are really coming up with. And I think it's across industries and companies of all sizes, the desire to embrace a cloud-like model, whether it's in my data center, a service provider, or a hyperscaler, is the same. It's really a differing of, of execution. If you look at the surveys that you've conducted, this is the most recent one, for example, is there a top three considerations that enterprises are following as they look to shift from a pure on-prem to this hybrid infrastructure model? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there, there's so many concerns, as you, you highlighted in your opening, and it, it really depends on the size and scale of the company. You know, a company working inside of one country is at a bit of an advantage because they've only got one regulatory framework to work under, but whereas a multinational or global corporation has to be really aware of data sovereignty, data governance, and, and shifting geopolitics, which is why I think the number one consideration for any organization is how are we going to preserve optionality? How are we going to build a multi-cloud strategy from day one so that as our needs shift over time, we can pick and choose the best cloud services and not lock ourselves in to an individual provider? And that's certainly got to be the first one is how do we use the cloud in a way that's intelligent? The second is really taking a realistic assessment of where your business is as far as operational maturity and the applications that are running your business. Uh, there are some applications that are not ever going to move to the cloud. And you have to think about what is the, the life cycle for those applications? Can I modernize them? Can I replace them? Do we just let them run out the logical end of their life in an on-prem data center? And that's really going to be decided on an application by application basis. And then the third piece is, again, how do we maintain visibility, control, data movement between clouds, whether it's on-prem, a hyperscale service provider, et cetera. Because that's something people in a rush to the cloud tend to overlook is what's my exit strategy or what's my migration strategy? We saw this a lot with early adopters in the US that moved into the public cloud with great enthusiasm and, and went all in. And then a year later, they're looking at their, their bills and they're trying to move out of the public cloud with even greater enthusiasm. So it really comes down to, again, how can we use this in a way that's beneficial to the goals of the business rather than just adopting cloud as the, the be all end all? What are some of the challenges that organizations will face on their cloud journey in light of the current business environment that we have, this uh, remote working environment that we are in and where the hybrid workforce is, is a reality? 
Mm, yeah, yeah, that's an interesting new reality, right? That we're, we're in this bit of a paradox here where everyone is trying to become a digital business now, you know, whether, whether you're in transport, retail, manufacturing, government, it doesn't matter, you're becoming a digital business uh, if you want to survive. And so the, the demand for talent is higher than ever. And this remote working situation has actually made it rather interesting because it means that companies no longer need to think about hiring an employee that's inside driving or commuting range of an office. They can really think about where can I go around the globe to find the right talent that fits in my organization and meets our needs. And so we're seeing, I think, a shift of what it means uh, to be an employee in an organization and where our talent pool is. You know, I think of Nutanix in our early days, some of our best developers set foot in an office maybe once a year because they had, uh, they had embraced remote working. And as a company, we took that to heart very early. So this, this wasn't as much of a shock for us. But here I'm sitting in, in Tokyo, for example, today, and uh, companies here have a very strong in-person culture in the office. And so how companies can find that cloud talent is going to need a little bit of a shift in organizational thinking as they deal with, with skill gaps on a region-by-region basis. Most cloud providers, at least this is my understanding, uh, so the AWS, uh, the Amazon, and the Alibaba and IBMs and all that, they all have, in a way, purpose-built the infrastructure around to provide this specific set of cloud services that they have. So in a sense, when an organization would like to go into a multi-hybrid cloud environment, so more than at least more than one cloud provider because they don't want to get locked into that single cloud vendor, they need to also recognize that there is actually a potential that whatever they do with, say, a cloud one won't exactly be the same as with cloud provider two, and that there may be interoperability issues between the two systems as they try and navigate this uh, hybrid type of uh, multi-cloud setup. How does a CIO then look at the issue of governance, mm. where governance is really a, more of a standards, right? How do I ensure that the, we have a governance framework or something that would allow us to get the best out of these uh, different cloud providers, plus our on-prem solution as well, if we're considering a hybrid multi-cloud solution? How do I do it? Yeah, that's a, that's a, a big challenge at the moment, I think, because like you said, there are no no interoperability standards. Uh, from a technical perspective, of course, there are uh, protocols and tools, uh, things like Kubernetes that, that can help to smooth some of that over, but those bring all their own challenges and aren't relevant for, for legacy applications. So I think it's got to come down to, to really a couple of things. The first is shifting the thinking of the IT department as providing project-based services to really being a service provider and abstracting away the capabilities of a public cloud or a private cloud. So the, the consumers of the IT services, the lines of business and the end users are consuming things in an automated self-service fashion, abstracted from where necessarily those workloads are running. So IT can, can really essentially build that governance in at the layer of consumption. So there's not, uh, not a need to, to reinvent the wheel every time. The second piece of that, of course, is visibility. It's impossible to govern things completely if you don't have visibility end to end. And so investing in the right tooling and processes to be able to see across clouds, where is my data sitting? Is it compliant? Am I following all my regulatory uh, checks that are required? And having that real-time feedback loop, whether it's on-prem or public cloud, and unifying that, you know, whether it's a single dashboard, reporting engine, what have you, to be able to, to show the business that we're, we're staying compliant. Because you read about these data breaches and these 
these hugely uh, embarrassing losses for global companies. And they come down often to, to simple misconfigurations that could easily have been caught with the right tooling. So that's critical to have in place before you get started rather than as an afterthought. What are the top three ways CIOs can harness the cloud as part of an IT infrastructure strategy to help drive business growth? So I think that, you know, the situation win right now gives us an interesting opportunity. Now, this has been a global shock, but it's not going to be the last, the last situation that requires an agile response. So the, the best way for, for companies to think about the cloud is how can I use these tools to build agility into the fabric of what I do? How can I pivot quickly into new service models, new business models? How can I respond to new competitive threats? And whether or not it's in your data center or the public cloud, a cloud-like model of incremental building, a culture of uh, encouraging experimentation, failing fast, and delivering capabilities quickly, a quick feedback loop is going to be essential rather than the very traditional long-term project-based planning that treats IT infrastructure as if I was running a a railway, for example. In the software world, we need to move faster. And the organizations that can do that, that can pivot, are the ones that are going to see growth. And there was no better example of the last year uh, of organizations that were able to pivot quickly and able to, to adjust their business models and the services they provide in near real time. And those are the organizations that were that are digitally native, that, that are used to that fast cycle of reinvention. So when CIOs think about the cloud, think about how can I provide those, those capabilities? How can I get closer to my customer? And the second piece of that is where can I get information out of the data that we generate? Every business generates tremendous amounts of data and they're unique tools in the public cloud for extracting value from that data, understanding my customer behavior, understanding patterns in my business across applications, across data sets, and bringing the power of the cloud and AI to bear against those data problems is another huge area of opportunity, again, for helping customers move forward and and grow in whatever situation is next. In 30 seconds, what does Nutanix play in this new environment, this new hybrid multi-cloud environment that we've been talking about for the last uh, 20 minutes or so? The role of Nutanix when we first started as a company was this idea to make computing invisible, to abstract away all the complexity of a data center, to give you a place to run your apps and data. What we've evolved to now is making the clouds invisible so companies can focus on growth, on reaching their users, and on on, on success and profitability and doing that by abstracting away the complexity of multiple clouds to give them an easy way forward uh, to embrace those technologies. Justin, thank you for joining me on Podchats for Future CIO. Absolutely. Thank you, Al. That was Justin Hurst, Field Chief Technology Officer, Asia Pacific and Japan for Nutanix on the topic of building a cloud strategy that supports resilience and growth. You are listening into Podchats for Future CIO. As always, if you have a topic you'd like us to cover on this channel, simply email us at editors at society.com. We'd also like to invite you to sign up for our free weekly newsletter so you won't miss an episode of Podchats for Future CIO. In the meantime, stay safe, have a great day, and see you on the next episode of Podchats for Future CIO. Bye for now. (music) 